our ladies tea tomorrow. I think they have right at 100 ladies signed up for that tomorrow, excited about that, and just thankful for a church that ministers to our whole family and uh, the different areas of our lives, and what a blessing it is to be able to have something like that at our church. Tonight, we're going to jump into the book of Lamentations. I know we have a couple of meetings right after the service for our, our marriage retreat, as well as for the uh, men cooking breakfast for our moms on Mother's Day. So turn, if you would, tonight. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Back to Lamentations chapter number one. Lamentations chapter number one, as we'll continue our series on lessons from Lamentations. And while you're turning there, let me remind you, in case you did not know, today is Administrative Professionals Day, and we try to honor our administrative professionals around here. So if you see Miss Pam, Miss Shelley, Miss Sarah, Miss Kim, you be sure to thank them uh, for keeping everything running, uh, running straight around here, and we sure do need them and appreciate them very much. You let them know. They do a lot of the behind-the-scenes work that helps get everything together for the services that we get to participate in and don't get near the credit they need. So you be sure to let them know how much we are thankful for them and appreciate them on this day that we've set aside to, uh, to honor them. Lamentations chapter one, look down if you will. We're going to look at one verse tonight, getting back to our old bad habits of just covering one verse at a time, but this one needs just uh, taking some time to pull apart if we could. Lamentations chapter one, look down at verse 16. We'll read this and we'll pray and jump right in. The Bible says, for these things I weep, mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate, because the enemy prevailed. Now, before we pray, I want you to look down. At the very center of this verse, the Bible says why he is weeping, because the comforter that should relieve my soul it's far from me. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the privilege to be at your house tonight. What a blessing it is, Lord, to come here in the middle of our week, uh, Lord, to get sharpened back up to go out and do your will again tomorrow. Thank you, Father, for your word, for the promises that are in it. Thank you for the lessons that are in it for us tonight, particularly in this place that we are in the world right now. Help us learn these lessons from Lamentations tonight that we wouldn't have to live these lessons in our own life. Bless tonight, I pray that you give us liberty. Uh, Lord, give us grace in presenting your word tonight. Help us receive it and respond to it, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we're going to continue examining these lessons that uh, Jeremiah is giving us that God wants us to see. And uh, I have mentioned many, many times about the great and vivid detail that God is giving us in the book of Lamentations. Uh, God is spelling out exactly the heartache, the grief, and the pain they're going through in vivid detail. Now, why is God doing that? Why is God giving us such great detail about something that you would not really want to know about, you know? Uh, when something bad happens, I don't want to know the gory details. Uh, when someone is sick, or Brother Nate was telling me today about he jumped in the water one time there uh, in Florida and jumped in and on top of oysters and barnacles, and it was cutting his feet up when he landed. I didn't want to hear the gory details, like some of you right now. Look at your face. Some of you are about to gag. And we don't want to hear those gory details about how bad something is. Most of us, I think, probably probably uh, by nature are, are optimists. We want to hear about the good things. We don't want to be depressed and dragged down. And yet God is giving us great illustration here and great description on the heartache that Jerusalem is, is being inflicted upon by God. Now, why is God doing that? Why is God spelling it out in such vivid detail for us? Well, it's simple. He wants us to get a picture of it. Okay, He wants us to be able to get the picture of what's happening to them, and I'm going to repeat this until we get done with Lamentations, so that it won't have to happen for us. God wants us to see it for ourselves. 
all right? Uh, I don't know if this Jeremiah was like this Jeremiah, but I can't draw worth the flip, all right? I have no artistic ability whatsoever with pen and paper or with a brush and a canvas. I have no ability with it that's concerned. I don't know if he had that ability either. And so he's not drawing us a picture and including in these verses exactly what's going on, but God is describing it where we can see exactly what he is doing because of their rebellion. Now, I think I read this to you a while back. John Maxwell says 89% of what we learn is visual. I would agree with that. 89%, that includes reading and studying. 10% is auditory and 1% is other senses. Now, the lessons in Lamentations, God is showing us what happened to them, and he wants us to see it so we don't have to live that for ourselves and learn that for ourselves the hard way. I looked up the definition of the word learn. Here's what it means, to gain knowledge by study or experience. Now, listen to that. The word learn means to gain knowledge by study or experience. Now, obviously, you could go into greater detail, but think about that. Most of us are going to learn one way or the other by study or by experience. We're either going to learn by trusting what we read or by trying it for ourselves. Is that not the case? Either we're going to believe what we read and we're going to trust what we, what we read as truth or we're going to try it out for ourselves. Now, I'll be honest with you. God would rather us read this tonight and believe it. God would rather us read the lessons of lamentations and trust the truths that are in here that he's preserved for us rather than have to experience it for ourselves. Do you know you can do that? I know so many of us, I'm guilty of learning things the hard way, all right? Uh, Experienced university gives out some of the greatest degrees, but it's costly, isn't it? It's costly to learn by experience, and oftentimes we don't have to learn from personal experience. We could learn from the experience of others. Give an example. Uh, I, I took several pictures offline today of some signs that, that are real signs uh, that you can either obey the signs or you can learn from experience of the signs. Can we pull up a few of those? Give me one right quick. Uh, here's one Touching wires causes instant death, $200 fine. Now, this is like insult upon injury, all right? Not only are you going to die, but you're going to be fined for touching those wires. Now, watch this. I can read that. And I can decide, you know what, I'm just going to trust the sign. I'm going to read it, I'm going to study it, and I'm just going to believe it. I don't have to experience it for myself because to experience that truth, would that not be costly? Yeah, that would be costly. I mean, not only costing your life, but your widow or widowers would have to pay $200 for your stupidity. So I'm just going to trust it. Let me give you another one right quick. I forget what order they're in. Here's one that says, warning, do not operate machine without all the guards and covers in place. Do not touch moving parts. Read safety rules in the operation manual. And it shows this guy whose hands are, are being cut off by the gears. Now, I don't know what kind of machine this was on. It's probably one of those KitchenAid mixers. My wife has one. That thing will chew you. It weighs a ton. It'll chew you up. Now, look. I can read that inside, you know what? I don't believe that, and I can experience it for myself. But oh, it would have been a whole lot less costly if I just read it and read it and believed it for myself. Let me give you another one right quick. Pull us up another one, guys. Here's one, I have to read it for you. Danger, do not open. Not only will this kill you, it will hurt the whole time you're dying. <laughs> I love guys like that. Guys who come up with those signs, I'm like, yeah, that's me. You know, sometimes we're so, uh, we use, we're, we're so politically correct in our knowledge, you know, beware, high voltage. Just put it out there like it is. You're going to die, and it's going to hurt the whole time you're dying. Now, look, you don't have to believe it, all right? You can read it. 
you can ignore it, you can open the box, and then, oh my goodness, will you believe it? Yeah, you'll believe it by experiencing it. Now, folks, that's the way the Word of God is. I think I have a couple more I'll show you right quick. Uh, Here's one. Entering artillery firing area, rounds are fired over roadway. I think this came from Camp Shelby, I really don't. Now, you don't have to believe it, do you? You can experience it. Let me give you another one. I saw this one if it's the one I think it is. Watch this. Here's a real road sign. It will end in tears. I don't know what it is, but look, I'm just going to believe the sign. I don't know what's, what, what it is and what the end of it is, but I don't like tears. I don't like crying. I told you, that's why I don't watch the Hallmark Channel, okay? I'm just going to trust the, the sign. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to have faith that it knows what it's talking about so that I don't have to experience that. Now, folks, that's what the book of Lamentations is. The book of Lamentations is a lot of those road signs where we get to see what happened to a lot of other people, and God says, you can either believe what I'm telling you, I preserve this in here for your admonition. I want you to learn from this, or you can experience it for yourself. Because truthfully, here's the truth I want you to get tonight. We don't get the choice of deciding if we learn. You do not get the choice of deciding if you're going to learn something. You get the choice of deciding how you're going to learn it. All right? You don't get to decide whether or not you agree with this. All right, You're going to agree with it one way or the other. You're either going to agree with it because it is the inspired, inerrant, preserved word of God, and God's word is truth, and I just believe it because God said it, or you're going to believe it because you experienced it for yourself, and it's going to be costly, and it's going to be painful. The end is going to be tears. So as graphic of a book as the book of Lamentations is, and as frightening as the book of Lamentations is, Oh my goodness, I see the love of my father in here because he wants me to know this is going to lead to pain and to tears and you don't have to, watch this, experience it. You can learn by studying and believe it. Proverbs 24, we haven't got to the points yet, but stick with me. The long introduction usually means shorter message. Proverbs 24, I believe Brother Nate preached off this the other day. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. All right? Destruction, right? Disaster, destruction. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. This guy is just walking by. He sees the destruction. He sees things out of order. A vineyard and a garden should not look like this. And the Bible says that he received instruction. He didn't have to go through this himself. He received instruction from it just by watching what someone else went through. Now, the book of Lamentations is meant to be our lessons. God says, I want you to learn from Lamentations. We've looked at the lesson of lowliness, loneliness, lordship, liability. We've looked at a lot of lessons. And tonight, we're going to look at probably one of the most gut-wrenching lessons that oftentimes we have to learn. And I mean it's gut-wrenching. Look at verse 16. For these things I weep, mine eye... Mine eye runneth down with water. Now, that middle section of this verse is so, so vital because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. Now, in verse 16, there's a very important word you've got to see. It's the word should. It's the word should. Jeremiah is not lamenting in this verse over the way things are. He's lamenting over what they should be. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Now, obviously, he is lamenting over the way things are, but rather than lamenting over what is, he's lamenting and he's he's grief-stricken and he's weeping over what should be. Now, God's people is learning a very invaluable lesson tonight 
for one of the most cruelest teachers, and that teacher is regret. Jeremiah says, it's not the way things are, all right? It was horrific. The wall is broken down. They're in grief. They're in pain, and that's bad enough. But the worst part of it is there could have been a whole lot better. And he's looking at the regret of Jerusalem. And tonight we need to learn from this because he's lamenting over what should be, not just because of what it is. John Greenleaf Whittier said this, For all of the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. It's not exactly what's going on. It's what could be going on that they're missing out on because of their rebellion towards God. So tonight we're going to look at the lesson of looking back. All right? We're going to look at the lesson of looking back. All of us one day are going to look back on our life. Every one of us will. We're going to stand before God, both lost and saved. You're going to stand before an almighty God. And at that moment, you're going to look back. God has given you a life. All right? If you're in here tonight and you're still breathing, some of you are a little bit sleepy, I can tell, but I think you're still breathing. All right? And God's given you a life. And you're going to look back on what you did with the life that God gave you. And when you stand before God and you look back upon the life and the opportunity that God gave you, you do not want to look back in regret. You say, well, Brother Jeremiah, every one of us will have regrets. Yes, that's true. But you get to decide how many. And we stand before God, you want to look back and look back at what God did with the life and the opportunity that he gave you. You don't want to look back and say, boy, there should be this. And there could have been that. So tonight, let's look at this lesson of looking back. Verse 16, look back down. The Bible says, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. Now, notice he's crying over the cost of their rebellion. Can I tell you something tonight? Especially our young people, listen close. Rebellion is costly. And you will cry over rebelling against God. That goes for every one of us. When we rebel against God, it's always going to cost us more than we think. Now, look at the price they're paying for pushing away from God. The Bible says that my comforter, the comforter that should relieve my soul, is far from me. Number one, I want you to notice their rebellion has cost them their expectation. Now, stick with me. Their rebellion has cost them Their expectations. So what do you mean by that? Well, in times like these, Jeremiah says, oh, how wonderful it would be to be able to turn to our God. I mean, when you're going through a time of heartache and pain, what a blessing it is to be able to turn to Christ, isn't it? Uh, The song, we sang it just a few weeks ago, I Must Tell Jesus. What does it say? All of my trials, all of my sorrows. Why? I cannot bear these burdens alone. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. How many times in your life have you had a time where you must tell Jesus? And the only person who could help you was your God. And what a blessing it was to be able to turn to your God and find that comfort and restoration and solace that you needed. Oh, what a blessing that is. But watch this. You have nothing to look forward to when you're living in rebellion. That comfort that should be there is not there. Why? You're going to find it hard to rebel against God and rely upon God at the same time. Now think about it. You say, well, man, I'm just so thankful to have God in my life and rely upon God and lean upon God. Look, you can't rely upon God and rebel upon God at the same time. I don't think you believe me. Oh, there's two of you. Amen to that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I was going to quote this one. I don't think you got it, so we're going to have to read it for ourselves, all right? Romans chapter 6, let's see it together tonight. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, listen close. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What does the Bible say? Shall we continue in sin? What is that? Sin's rebellion against God. How can we continue in sin and rebellion against God and expect to receive the grace of God? It's not going to happen that way. Listen, I've had conversation after conversation with folks, uh, not just in our church this week, but outside of our church, outside of the state. And oh, how we're longing for the grace of God in America. God, give us that comfort. God, give us that peace that we need in America right now, in our world right now. But we're never going to have that reliance upon God as long as we're living in rebellion to God. We have nothing to look forward to. Watch the comfort that should be there. It's not going to be there. Why? Rebellion is going to rob you of the comfort that only God could give. You have no expectation. When we're living in rebellion to God. Psalms 121, David put it this way. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Oh, there's some good doctrine right there. David is recognizing the only help that I can find is going to come from God. He says the only comfort that I can find is going to come from God. I'm going to look to the hills from whence cometh my help. But watch this, you can't rely upon God as your help as long as you're rebelling against God in your sin. Now look, I know that's not popular. And I know that doesn't fit in the mainstream, listen, religious circles of today. And we think we can live in sin and rebellion to God and then have God's grace and God's peace and that's God's comfort. God forbid. God forbid. You're not going to be able to rely upon God as long as you're rebelling against God. And as long as you're living in rebellion, you have zero expectation from God. It should be there. But notice what he says. It's far from me. It's far from me. I love Nehemiah. I preached the first revival I ever preached. I was 18 years old, down at my great-grandmother's church in Pasadena, Mississippi, and uh, preached about revival. Nehemiah, the great revival they had there with the walls. And Nehemiah's up there building, and Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah, the enemies, they kept coming and just, just ragging on him, trying to get him to stop, trying to get him to come down. And what did Nehemiah say? He says, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Here Nehemiah was trying to do the will of God. Nehemiah says, look, we're going through this tough time. We're just going to rely upon God. And oh, did he get the wall built? Absolutely. Why? Because he had someone he could rely on. But that reliance is not there when you're living in rebellion. Nehemiah says, we're going to expect God. This is God's work. We're going to expect God to do what only God could do, and God did what only God could do. Now, I want to tell you something. When you're living in the will of God... The expectations of God, what, what, what was the old quote? The future's as bright as the promises of God. All the expectations are great. You can rely upon God, but not when you're living in rebellion to God. You have zero expectations. Jeremiah is looking back and he's saying here, he says, Oh, the regrets we pushed away from the only hope of any type of expectation. Do you know you really have no expectations outside of God? What do you think about that? So what do you mean? I have a job tomorrow. Oh, but yeah, that job will end one day. That job will be over. Well, you know what? I'm going to go out. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. You know, you're in good health. That health's going to decline one day. Your job, your health, your possessions, your money, whatever it is that you're relying upon right now, it's not going to last. The only thing that's going to last is God. That means you have zero expectations outside of God. 
And when you rebel against God, you're pushing away from the only lasting expectations you can have in this life and the life to come. That's why the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You're turning away from the only hope of any expectation that, that you could have, and that's through God. I'll read about the children of Israel this afternoon. I think about the promises God made them. He promised that he would drive out all the ites, you know, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Parasites, you know, all of those sites. He said he's going to drive them all out. He promised them that there was a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know why he's telling them that in great detail? He wants them to see what they have to expect. I'm so thankful. Oh, I am so thankful that I serve a God of great expectations. I think it was William Carey who said, uh, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. You can expect great things from our God. If you serve the God that I serve, you can expect great things from God. Look, if God calls you to go to the mission field, you sell everything you got, you go over there to that mission field and expect God to do great things in the middle of nowhere. Why? Because he's a great God. And a great God comes with great expectations. He told the children of Israel, I'll drive them out from before you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on and on to say all the things he's going to do for them and leave them an inheritance. You know what he's saying? Oh, you can expect great things from me. But wait a minute. What happened? They rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. Somehow, they had this mindset that we have in 2021 that you could rebel against God and rely upon God at the same time. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You see, rebellion is going to cost you your expectation. Not only did they not get to go into the land flowing with milk and honey, not only were they powerless to defeat the enemy, not only did they not have the inheritance for themselves, watch this, they died in the wilderness. There's not a whole lot of expectations in the wilderness, is it? Why? Because the wilderness is rebellion. We rebel against God. It's a spiritual wilderness for all of us. Here's what rebellion does. Rebellion replaces God's resources. Rebellion will replace God's resources with the residue of sin. I want you to think about that. God offers us great things. God offers us strength. Listen, he may not offer you everything that the televangelist says he's going to offer you. The Ferrari and the jewels and all of those things. But God offers you something way better. Oh my God's got some wonderful expectations for you. But when we rebel against God, watch this. We are swapping the resources of God for the residue of sin. Do you know what residue is? Residue is what's left over after something was there. Every once in a while, I'll get a wild hankering to do my own mechanic work. I'm not a mechanic. I was a carpenter. If cars were made out of wood, oh, I could fix my own car, uh, but I'm thankful they're not made out of wood because termites, you know, that'd be bad, have holes eat through your car because of termites. I'm thankful they're made out of metal, but every once in a while, especially when we were starting by you, I didn't have the money to hire anybody to fix my car, so go to YouTube. That's what every smart man does. Go to YouTube. How do I fix my car? How to fix a transmission for dummies, things along that line. So I just watch videos. I get out there under my car, and I would always take it for a few-mile test run before I put my family in it because I didn't trust my own work, to be honest with you. I didn't know who the guy was I learned from on YouTube, Brother Jim. So I'm thinking, look, you know, I don't know if I can trust him. I know I can't trust me, so I'm going to take it for a few laps. After I come back in the house, my hands would be dirty, oily, just got all that junk all over them. And I would do what my wife would despise. I would go to the bathroom sink to wash my hands. 
I'd wash all that oil off. I got the gojo and that orange, and I'm trying to scrub, 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 and I'm getting her nail polish remover, and I'm putting all that, trying to get all this stuff out from under my fingernails because, you know, preacher, I wanted to have nice manicured hands. <laughs> Just kidding. Man, the sink would fill up with water and all of this stuff down in there. And, and then finally the water would go down and around the rim of the sink would be this, this dark line of, ooh. This oil, this residue that was there. My wife would come home for whatever she was doing there at the church that day. She would say, have, have you been in the bathroom? No. <laughs> what a dumb question. She's not in here tonight, is she? Anyway. No, I knew she wasn't. That's why I said that. I said, what do you mean? She goes, there's this gunk all over the sink in here. You been working on the car today? No. I was mixing chocolate pudding in the sink. That's what that is, you know. You can tell she's not in here, can't you? She could tell I was there by the residue of what was left behind. All right? Now, let me tell you some of what rebellion will do. Rebellion will leave the residue of regret. Anytime we have spiritual regret in our life, it's always a sign that at some point in our life, rebellion was there. Anytime we have regret showing up in our life and the things of God and our walk with God, it means at some point, rebellion was there because, watch, regret is the residue of rebellion. My wife could tell I was in the sink. She knew that I had been working on the car because of the residue that was left. And we have regret, all of us do to some extent. But you could limit some of the residue of regret you have in your life if you limited the rebellion against God. All right? I'll be honest with you. I don't like regrets. I don't like missing out on something. I hate it when you go to a restaurant. Man, went to Sweet Peppers the other day, and they had a buffalo chicken flatbread. Man, that was good. I went in, I said, hey, I'd like to get one of those buffalo chicken flatbreads. And the man says, sorry, it was for a limited time. That's just wrong. Man, missed out on it. I had to settle for the, the bayou shrimp flatbread. It wasn't as bad. But man, that buffalo chicken was good. I hated missing out on something. But oh, there's nothing, listen, there's nothing like missing out on the sweet promises of God and the expectations of God, but you will. And you're going to have regret. Why? Because you lived in rebellion. Notice verse 16. It says, because the comforter that should relieve my soul. Here's what Jeremiah is saying. Oh, there should be a comforter here. There should be someone we could turn to here. But it's not. Why? Because we lived in rebellion. First Samuel 13, we read about Saul who rebelled against God. What did Samuel say? The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Notice that word would. God wanted to establish your kingdom forever. Oh, God had something good prepared for you. God had something for you to look forward to. Oh, my goodness, what God had ready for you. His divine providence and plan. He was going to make you king over Israel forever. But what happened? Saul traded God's resources for regret through rebellion. He says he would have done that. But he's not going to do it anymore. First Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible tells us about a time where our works are going to be tried by fire. I'm thankful we can't lose our salvation because if you could lose it, I would have lost it. But the Bible says we're going to stand before God and our works are going to be tried by fire. And the Bible says that some of our works are going to be burned up. 
and will be saved as by fire. First Corinthians 3.15, the Bible says we'll be saved as by fire. What does that mean? It means because we live this life for ourselves and invested in this life and we're in love with this world, we get before God, our works are going to be tried, it's all going to be burned up and we'll be saved, yes. But when you live for this life, you have nothing to look forward to. You're saved as by fire. I believe a lot of us are going to stand before God on that day, and we're going to dig through the ashes that are there. Say, what do you mean, God? I went to church every once in a while. I had a copy of the Bible. I even sang at church a couple of times. But we lived this life for ourselves, and we laid up treasures in this life for ourselves, and God's going to try it all by fire. We're going to sift through all of those ashes that are there, and here's what we're going to say. There should be something there. There should be. But there is nothing there. Why? Because we live this life in rebellion to God. Now, oftentimes we think rebellion is just when we are just an atheist shaking our fists before God. Rebellion is simply when you know what God has said and what God says do and you say no. That's what rebellion is. Rebellion is when you choose your way and your will over what you know God is saying. And those works, no matter how religious they may be, They will be burned up, and we will sift through those ashes, and we'll say, there should be something there, but there is not. Remember this, and I'll give you the second point. Don't let what you could have in this life rob you of what you should have in the next. Don't let what you could have in this life. Yes, you could have money. Listen, nothing wrong with that. If God gives it to you, honor and glorify him with it. Nothing wrong with having things, but don't let what you could have in this life rob or distract you from what you should have in the next life. Why? Because rebellion against the will of God in this life is going to cost you your expectation from God in the next. I think all of us want to look forward to having something. I know there's going to be a lot of my works burned up. I know there's going to be some ashes to sift through there. But by the grace of God, I want to have something there, not for me, but to lay at the feet of my Savior. And the only way I'm going to have something to look forward to up there that should be there is not to rebel against God now down here. Let's hurry. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. So we see, number one, rebellion has cost them. It's cost them their expectation. But notice the second thing. He gets specific. The Bible says the comforter that should what? Relieve my soul. That word relieve means restore. The only, watch this, the only one who could restore them, the only one who could comfort them and relieve them in this great time of heartache is the one they've pushed away. The only one that could restore them and get them back to where they need to be is the one that they have kicked out. That's why number two, notice, rebellion has cost them their restoration. They can't be relieved. They can't be comforted. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we find that things degrade, don't they? By the way, let that be a truth sink in in your heart and your life. Sin will always make things degrade. God made a perfect and a good world, and when sin entered, it began to degrade. My dad used to use the illustration, take a brand new board right off the sawmill. We have a sawmill there at the camp, and take that brand new, nice cut board, and just take it and throw it out there in the grass and leave it there. Watch what happens to it. The sun begins to cook it, and it begins to twist like the lumber you get from Lowe's, you know. It begins to twist up real bad, and next thing you know, it starts to turn, uh, turn that brown color because it's getting that, that mold on it and that mildew on it. After a while, you notice some bugs start to crawl through it, and before long, that thing has just rotted right into the ground. Why? Because of sin, things degrade. They go down. They don't get better. And all of us are just like that. Why? Because we're all sinners, There are times in all of our lives that we need restoration. 
There are times, listen, that all of us fall down and we need God to pick us up and for God to restore us. Isaiah 53, what does the Bible say? All we like sheep have gone astray. I love the fact that it says all because that means the best of us and the worst of us are affected by the same disease, worse than COVID. It's called sin. And all of us are going to find ourselves going astray. What does it go on to say? We have turned everyone unto his own way. There are times we're going to turn to our way, which means away from God's way. Look, you can't go your way and God's way at the same time. It's always got to be God's way. The Bible says we've all gone to his own way. And what do we need? We need restoring. We need God to pick us up. We need God, what does it say in verse 16? To comfort us and to relieve us. I want you to understand tonight, there's no comfort and there's no relief like what you get from God. I know people that are battling cancer right now, some on different levels than others, people who've gotten bad diagnosis from the doctor where the doctor cannot give them comfort and the doctor cannot give them relief, and yet they have joy. Their countenance is good. Maybe not excited about it, but they've got something in them the doctor couldn't give them. You know where they're getting it from? The only one who can give you relief. And the only one who can give you restoration, that's from God. You know, God knew what he was talking about when he called us sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. You know, I'll tell you one thing you learn about sheep. I read a lot about sheep. Sheep are very needy creatures. I mean, they really have no natural defense system. They have no sharp teeth. I mean, they really have no sharp claws. I mean, they're just these needy little walking fuzzballs. That's why they need a shepherd. All throughout Scripture, we see sheep. What are they doing? They're wandering away. Psalms 23, look at it. He restoreth my soul. Now, remember, he's equating or using the metaphor of a sheep. And we run off and we wander from God. And what are we needing? We're needing restoration. And look, the restoration we need can only come from God. Somebody asked me that this week. Somebody called. They were asking for hope. We need hope. This world's spiraling out of control. I mean, listen, things get worse and worse exponentially. What's the only hope? I said, the only hope's coming from God. That's it. There is no restoration. There is no relief. There is no comfort for what we are going through other than from God. Let me show you how dangerous this is. When you're living in rebellion to God, you're pushing away the only one who can restore you. He's it. The rebellion of Israel, the Bible says, verse 16, the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. Psalms 51, after David's great sin, he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Notice that personal pronoun. He says, I'm calling upon you because you're the only one who can restore what I need. And when we live in rebellion to God, we rebel against the only one who can restore us. I read an interesting story about Abraham Lincoln today following the Civil War. And he had several folks up there in, in, in Washington who were trying to decide what they're going to do with, with the rebels down south. How are you going to punish those rebels down south who rebelled against us? And, man, they were conjuring up all kinds of ways to be mean to the rebels down here in the south. He said, how are you going to treat the southerners that have rebelled? He said this. I'll treat them as if they had never been away. You know where he learned that? He learned that from his father. I'll treat them as if they had never been away. That's how our shepherd, oh, my soul, 
That we have a shepherd who in Psalms 23, the Bible says he restores us. He's comparing us to a sheep that has run away. This sheep decides, you know what, that grass on that hill over there, it looks good. Somebody said once, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, usually because there's a septic tank there. The devil knows how to make it look green, and you don't want to know how, how he made it look green. It's usually a pretty rough. Some of you are wondering what a septic tank is. Talk to your parents. They'll explain that to you. And that sheep wanders off. He says, boy, that, that looks good. And that shepherd leaves the 90 and 9 to go after that one sheep. Why? He wants to restore them. But as long as that sheep is running from the shepherd, he's rebelling against the only one who can restore him. And when we run from God, no matter how big or how small, we are rebelling against the only hope of restoration in our life. This is why David would go on to say, once again, listen, think sheep. Think sheep. David says in Psalms 40, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit. All over the Holy Land, you'll find, I watched a documentary on it the other day, all over the Holy Land, you'll find there are sinkholes and even tar pits. We read that about Solomon and Gomorrah. There were tar pits and uh, asphalt pits is what they were there. And all these pits and all these holes and all these, these crevices and all of these little valleys that were there. And the sheep would wander off and it would fall down in it. I think there's a picture floating around on social media right now. A lot of people are sharing it about this sheep that has fallen down in a crevice. And oh, thank God I'm not a shepherd. It's like, I am tired of running after you, man. Sometimes I feel like that as a pastor, but we're not going to go down that road. Down there in that hole, how many times I got to pull you up out of this hole? The old shepherd reaches down and he pulls that sheep up out of the hole, puts it up on his shoulders, carries it back. Not only does he carry it back, he rejoices. Tells everybody, look what I found. Like the prodigal son's dead. My son that was lost, that was dead, is now alive. He's been found. And he rejoices. Why? Because we serve a long-suffering shepherd. But the longer you run from him, the more you're rebelling against the only one who can restore you. Rebellion robs you of any hope of restoration. And we see Jeremiah crying. He even repeats this term twice, for these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. He, on behalf of all these people at Jerusalem, is regretting running from God. Why? Because it has cost them restoration. Finally, look at the end, if you will, verse 16, and we'll be done tonight. The Bible says... My comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was studying this out, I was thinking, well, we'll just have two points tonight. I don't see the third point there. And begin to pray about it a little bit more and pray about it a little bit more. And the Lord showed us a third one. At the end of verse 16, it says, because the enemy prevailed. Now, here's what's sad. The enemies prevailed. Now, used to, it was God's people that prevailed. I mean, remember what, uh, what old Rahab said? Rahab says, well, we heard about you guys. We heard you guys coming and how, how God did all this for you. And, and they shut up old Jericho. They say, here come those people who God has been victorious for them. And yet now they're not victorious, are they? They have gone from being the people whose reputation was mighty and powerful and conquerors. And now they are the defeated because the enemy has prevailed. That's the third thing and the final thing tonight I want you to see. Rebellion will cost you your reputation. Rebellion will cost you your reputation. Here's Jerusalem, the city of God. The place he had chosen to set his name there. The physical, the physical area, 
that represented Almighty God, a people, a victorious, powerful people, a conquering people, and yet now they have been prevailed upon by the enemy. Turn with me if you real quick. I want you to see that in Joshua 2. Hold your place in Lamentations 1. I want you to see this in Joshua 2. I want you to contrast the two. Joshua chapter 2, look down in verse number 10. We'll give you this and we'll be done tonight. Listen to what Rahab says. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Now, pause right there. Notice even the people of Jericho knew that it was God. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you were come out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Watch verse 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Oh, what a mighty people. What a mighty people. Remember that song, Faith is the Victory? It talks about marching and the earth shall echo with our shout. Faith is the victory. That used to be who we were. The people of God were victorious. They were powerful. They were led by Almighty God himself. And now, verse 16, we see them reduced to losers. They are defeated. And the enemy has prevailed. Why? Because rebellion will cost you your reputation. Now, here's why. Jerusalem did not realize. Listen close. They had no identity outside of God. They were victorious. They were powerful. And they were mighty all because of God. And when they rebelled against God and pushed God away, they pushed away everything that made them who they were. And now they have been reduced to exactly who they were without God. Now, why is this important? Because look at America tonight. This great, mighty, mighty country. This bold country that over the series of just about 200 years, God raised up to be the, the world power. That was not us. Our reputation was from God. Righteousness exalteth the nation. We were exalted because of God. It was the hand of God that exalted us. And we are who we are. We were who we were because of God. And we rebelled against God. We rebelled against everything that made us who we are. And now we sit almost at the point of the end of verse 16 where the enemy has almost prevailed, almost prevailed. You know, God told them throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, Psalms 44, 14, David says, Thou makest us a byword among the heathen and a shaking of the head among the people. You know what a byword is? Oftentimes you read in Scripture, uh, I believe in 1 Kings, he says, We'll make you to be a byword. I'll withdraw myself from you, and you'll become a byword or a proverb. What are those? A lesson for someone else to learn. That's what a byword is. I'm going to make you a byword. I'm going to make you the lesson that people walk by and shake their head. As that wall that's broken down, he says, you're going to be just like them. There's going to be nothing left. Why? Because the only thing good that was of you has departed from you, which was God. Now listen to this tonight. John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Man, what a reputation to be called the sons of God. I'm thankful to have a godly dad. I'm thankful to be called the son of Jack. You may not have a godly earthly dad, 
But oh, if you're saved, you have a godly heavenly father. And what a privilege that we get to be called the sons of God. We get to be victorious and we get to be powerful and we get to be more than conquerors, but it's only through him. And as soon as you rebel against God, the enemy prevails because the only reason you were who you were was because of him. And you have pushed against everything that made you who you were. Jerusalem is figuring out that the only reason they prevail was because of God. And when you rebel against God and his way, you're rebelling against God and his might and his power in your life. And we're seeing that he's sitting back and they're regretting as a nation, as a people. Regretting what should be. There should be power there. There should be that conquering spirit there, but it's not. Why? Because they rebelled against God. I was listening to Adrian Rogers preach this week while I was working. And he said something that reminded me of what my dad used to tell me that I've told you many times. I walk out the door, dad would say, remember who you are and remember what you are. But he said something a little different to his children. As his children would walk out the door, he would say, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Remember who you are. I'm in Andrews. But remember whose you are, who you belong to. What a reputation to have, to be called the sons of God, more than conquerors, to have power. I mean, that sin no longer has dominion over us, but as soon as we rebel against God, as soon as we rebel against God, it's going to cost us our reputation and what made us who we are. So tonight, Book of Lamentations, verse 16, God wants us to learn this lesson of looking back. Can I tell you something tonight? We're done. Bible's closed. That means I'm really done. All right? Every one of us will look back. Just as Jeremiah is looking back. And he's weeping. He says, my eye, my eye. He's weeping at what should have been. What should have been. There should be a God that we could expect to do something here, but we pushed him away. There should be there. We should be, listen, being able to rely upon our God because we are the people of God. But when we pushed him away, we pushed away that same reputation that made us who we are. Oh, he's sitting there in regret. Looking back, there's no restoration. There's no expectation. And there's no reputation. Because they pushed that away when they rebelled against God. Now, can I ask you something? When you reach the end of your life, whether it be tomorrow or 100 years, and you look back on your life, are you going to have the same regrets that they have? You have nothing to look forward to because you rebelled against God in this life. You weren't able to be restored to where you needed to be because you rebelled against the only one who could restore you and you look back. Oh, I wish I had listened. I wish I had gave in. I wish I hadn't pushed away from God. Tonight, watch this. If you're still drawing a breath, we have opportunity to turn back to him. We could learn this lesson through study rather than through experience. But that begins in the hearts and lives of each and every one of us deciding to submit our will to God's. So with our heads bowed tonight and our eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I, wanna, I wonder tonight if we are going to learn the lesson of looking back by study or by experience. Understand one day you're going to look back on your life. Matter of fact, I'm assured that there's going to be one time in your life you're going to look back and God's going to be present with you. 
And you're going to look back at the life you lived, and I believe we'll be reminded of all the times the Holy Spirit of God tugged at our heart, either number one, to get saved, or number two, to get right with God. He's tugging, he's tugging, he's tugging, and yet we say, no, 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 I'll promise you there's coming a time of regret. As long as you rebel against God, it's going to cost you expectations. You have nothing to look forward to. There's no comfort, and there's no power. They only come through you walking with him. Father God, I thank you tonight, Lord, for, for the tough lesson. They're learning, and Lord, regret is, is such a horrible, horrible pill to have to swallow. And Father, you preserved this for us in your word that we could read vividly about the downfall of a people. Lord, that we could learn through study and not through experience. I pray tonight, Father, that we would not rebel against you and lose our expectation of who you are and what we could be only through you. I pray tonight, Father, we wouldn't rebel against you, Lord, and lose the opportunity for restoration, Lord, that you would be our comfort. Oh, we need comfort right now. Lord, we need relief right now. We need restoration right now. And you can give us that, but only, Lord, when we rely on you, not when we rebel against you. And, Lord, I pray tonight we would not rebel against you, Lord, costing us our reputation of who we can only be through you tonight. Help us, Lord, at Central Baptist Church to lead our city to lead our state and our country back to you, Lord, through the decisions we're about to make in our hearts and homes tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.